High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Tonight, we are just very honored, very privileged to have a great man of God that we have known for over a decade now. As a matter of fact, I have said it before and I'll say it once again. Whenever I first met Pastor Casey Doss, he was a part of Chosen. I don't know how many of you know are familiar with Karen Wheaton and Chosen. He was a male dancer. Yes, my friend, he was a male dancer. And uh, I remember him getting up on the platform when we were in the old building that crossed the, the way, the, what is now the Generations building. He's never going <laughs> to live it down. And uh, anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, it's just been absolutely awesome. And I know many of you have heard him preach and teach. He's a powerful, powerful man of God, powerful preacher, and I appreciate so much his integrity, his faithfulness. Uh, we communicate on a regular basis, and I get to hear from him, and also with Pastor Cole. And uh, it's just amazing what God has done in his life, what God continues to do on in his life. He is a one of the instructors, teachers at the Ramp School of Ministry, ministers a lot in conferences there, and also travels a tremendous amount. But we are blessed tonight, and again, I, I say that uh, if I if I maybe uh, step out here, and I and he can correct it if he wants, but he really has been like a spiritual son, and I appreciate so much his ministry. I appreciate so much what God has done within his life. So can we give it up tonight for Pastor Casey Dawes, and let's praise God for the gift that God has placed inside of him. Ho! Oh! Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. High praise. How's it been? You guys are doing amazing. Y'all have a problem here. Uh, a too many people problem, which is a wonderful problem to have. But there's so many of you that feel, and I say that in jest, we're so, so, so glad that you're here. And, you know, I was thinking about it. <clears throat> I think that the first time I preached here was... Me and Lindsay had just got married. We didn't have kids yet. So that would have been around 2006, 2007, almost two decades, which is unbelievable. I'm not going to get to live down the male dancer thing. <laughs> just so you know, that was against my will. I had to do that to marry the lady's daughter. So you do what you got to do. Can I get a witness from somebody? Yeah. And absolutely, I consider pa Apostle Robert a spiritual voice in my life, a spiritual father in my life. He has been there for me through thick and thin for two decades. And every time Lindsay sees Pastor Robert and Pastor Stacey on Instagram or Facebook, every time, without fail, she'll pick it up and she'll, she, which this is her, she'll be like, oh, I want to be them. I want to be them. So can you give honor where honor is due to the founding pastors of this house? Apostle Robert and Apostle Stacy Gay for the work of God that they've done. Amen. And then my brother Josh, me and Josh talk pretty much every day. And uh, I was really excited about this. He wanted me to come, 2024 is an election year, so he wanted me to come preach on politics and tell you who to vote for in order to go to heaven. So that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. 
Grab your Bible. Uh, we'll look at a couple of texts. Go to Matthew 4 and then go to Revelation. You can turn wherever you want, but I'm going to go to Matthew 4 and I'm going to go to the book of Revelation. So, <clears throat> so honored to be here. Love you so much. Matthew chapter number 4. I will say this about Apostle Robert, though. Um, as much as I love him, um, he did feel it necessary after Nick Saban retired to mock me endlessly on text messaging. So whoever is leading the LRM ministry now, if we can squeeze some time in before I go back to Alabama, that would be great. And I mean mock. I mean like back to the garbage dump, Alabama. I mean it was painful. It hurt. But... My fear is, is how prophetic he is. He's right. And so I'm preparing my heart. All right. Matthew's gospel, chapter number four. I'll read one little text here, and then we'll flip over to Revelation. <laughs> Matthew's gospel, chapter number four. And then we'll go to Revelation. And then we're going to go to Ephesians. Matthew four, verse number eight. Again, everybody knows this, the, the story of Jesus' temptation. This is the last temptation that he endures. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then he said to him, all these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. I'll read it again. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. That Jesus said, away with you, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord, serve only him. The devil left, and suddenly angels came and awaited on him. Now flip over to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. If Travis is running the screens, I might not do the Matthew 6 verses. I might not have time to, to get there. But thank you for all your hard work in getting those prepared for me. <clears throat> Revelation chapter number 19. I'll read three verses to you. Verse 1, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice, the voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, now this is the end of the book, this is the end of the story, and this is what heaven declares, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. Verse 3, once more they said, hallelujah. The smoke goes up from her forever and ever. Now, we don't have time to preach on that. Verse 6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, hallelujah, watch this line, for the Lord God the Almighty reigns. The end of the story sounds like this, our God reigns. Or to use Paul's language, the way Paul envisioned the end was this. That in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, everything is changed. And God will be all in all. Amen. All right. Now, 
Let me read that one more time. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, Hallelujah, for our God reigns. Now, one more text. Flip over to Ephesians. I know these seem disconnected, but hang in here with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Everybody said, roll tight. I had three roll ties and a bunch of laughs, mocking laughs, mind you. <laughs> Go Knowles. That's what I'm talking about. Don't, don't do your, don't do the, we'll start a fight. Don't do that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Although I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles to the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden before the ages in God who created all things. Watch. So that through the church, everybody say the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Or in the King James it says something like that the manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church to the principalities and the powers. Amen? All right, you can close your Bible. That first text that we read in Matthew chapter number four where it says if, if you, I grew up reading the King James and preaching the King James. That's what I grew up on. It took me years to change, not because I think the King James is more right, it's just because I'm lazy and I didn't feel like changing. Um, I do remember preaching one time and I opened up the King James and I was preaching and after it was over, there was an old, there's an old church of God. You got to get that in your voice when you talk about the church of God, church of God. He came up to me, I preached out of the King James, and he goes, brother, it blessed me that you preached out of the King James Bible. I said, amen. He said, because I think we should use the same Bible Paul used. I said, amen. <laughs> You'll get it on the way home, you're like, same Bible Paul used. But in the King James, this is how Jesus' temptations go. It opens with these lines, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. If you be the son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple. If you be the son of God, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you will fall down and worship me. There's another translation that doesn't say if you be the son of God. There's another translation that says this, since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Since you are the son of God, throw yourself down and the angels will come and pick you up. Since you are the son of God, take over all of the power of the kingdoms of this world. In other words, use your sonship to leverage power in this world for your own sake and for your own benefit. He's saying that's the temptation. To think that because we're the people of God, it's already quiet. We, we, we're in the introduction. Because we're the people of God, that we can leverage some kind of earthly power for our own means. Right? And we think that because we think that is something that is bestowed upon. We don't realize that, God, that Jesus transforms every idea that we have about power. Jesus from the very outset says, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant. Jesus from the very outset says, if you want to be the first, you got to be the last. And if you're going to be the last, then you're going to be the first. That is not how we think about power. We crave power. We are hungry for power because we need power so that we can overpower. We need power so that we can enforce what it is that we want, right? And we think it's God's job to give it to us. 
As a matter of fact, that's who we think God is. This is why Jesus, all through his stories, he is turning these things upside down all the time. We want Jesus riding in on a war horse. And he comes riding in on a donkey. And not even a good donkey, an unbroke donkey. You ever rode an unbroke horse? That's not very fun. We want him riding in on a war horse. He comes in on a donkey. We want him carrying a sword, and instead he carries a cross. We want him to be a lion, and instead, John says, behold, the Lamb of God. Right? We want the Spirit to come in like a flying eagle, and instead he comes like a dove. Because we are always trying to arm God, and God is always trying to disarm us. And he says, if you buy into the idea that it is God's job just to give you power so you can secure your way of life and get what you want, that that is devilish. Since you're the son of God, take over everything. Since you're the son of God, impose what you want. Amen? This is what, what Paul would mean. And, and if listen, just, just give me a couple minutes. And then after it's over, if you say that that ruggedly handsome young man, <laughs> I'm kidding, is misguided, that's fine. Go back to whatever you want, but just give me a few minutes. This is what Paul means when he talks about principalities and powers. There's a couple of different dimensions in which to read this, but one of the ways to read Paul's talk of principalities and powers is Paul defines them this way. He defines or he makes synonymous the kingdoms of this world. He also at times calls them the principalities and the powers. Okay, The structures that exist that make the world work a certain way. You follow me? The structures that are in place that cause life to work a particular way. Paul names those principalities and powers and then goes so far to say those can be demonized. Or the king, they're the kingdoms of this world. And if you read the book of Revelation, the end of those kingdoms is clear. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. The people belong to God, but the kingdoms of this world do not and they will not. They will collapse and be consumed. You can't baptize them enough to make them gods. You with me? I'm afraid to look at Josh right now. We good? Good. Paul calls these the principalities and the powers. The way the world works. And Jesus comes along. And is in constant conflict with the powers and the principalities. Teaching us that you can have Jesus or you can have the way the world works, but you can't have both. I'll, I'll tell you this story. I heard a, I heard a, we'll just say a public figure. And whoever you just thought of right now, I promise you it's not that person. And I don't know who you thought of, but you trust me. And they got up and they were speaking at this Christian rally. They were just whipping them up, whipping them up, you know. They started off, you know, by saying what they always say. You know. They're taking over, whoever they are. They're, they're taking over. And then they said this. They said, I know the Bible says, turn the other cheek. 
But so far, that's gotten us nowhere. And the crowd goes, wow. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying a couple of things. The first thing we're saying is, I will follow Jesus to a point. The second thing we're saying is, I will stop following Jesus when following him doesn't work for me anymore. When following him doesn't give me what I want. That's devilish when we think because we're the sons of God, I get to get whatever I want. I get to make the world what it is, and I get to make the world whatever I want it to be because I'm a son and a daughter of God. That is absolutely not the vocation of the church. You with me? We can't baptize the kingdoms of this world enough. We can't redeem them enough. That is not their end. Their end is not that we convert them. Their end is that God consumes them. You with me? So we can have Jesus or we can have the way things work, but we can't have both. This is why Jesus always topples how we think about power. You know what Paul calls the power of God? The cross. That does not look powerful. That is man, that is the most perfect, innocent victim at his most vulnerable point of weakness. And Paul looks at that and says, that's power. And then says, but if the cross is foolishness to you, that's because you're perishing. Right? When we talk like that, when, when the church talks about picking up their cross for the sake of the world, what we think we mean is, well, you can't go to the beach on spring break. <laughs> and as somebody that has went there accidentally on spring break, I would recommend you not do that. <laughs> We've been coming to Panama City for almost 20 years, and for some reason, for some reason, my brain glitched, and I thought it would be a good idea to plan a family vacation. I didn't know it was graduation weekend. It was like another planet down there. In front of our hotel, a mother and a daughter got arrested for fighting over a boy. I was like, what is, the stories are true. <laughs> the stories are true. Have to walk back from the beach to the hotel, just covering your kids' eyes. Just walk, 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 shut, walk, walk. Daddy, what is, don't ask. You're not seeing anything. That's what we think we mean when we talk about take up our cross. It's like they're just bearing my cross. It's not a cross. It's not a cross. The cross is, is when you take all of the betrayal from somebody and then God still makes you forgive them. When you are completely polar opposite on two ends of the spectrum of what you believe and how you see the world and God then commands you to wash their feet. I read this line the other day. Don't think this person bothers me. Instead think this person is sanctifying me. Don't that hurt? No, no, yeah. You look straight ahead like I didn't just say it. Don't think this person bothers me. Think this person is sanctifying me. And you're just like, oh, no. There's got to be a way out of that, right? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. What does that mean in the Greek, I wonder? <laughs> you ever notice how we read the Bible that way? Like, 
all of the wild metaphorical portions like Revelation chapter 17. There's mountains called wormwood falling out of the sky. And we're like, I think I saw wormwood last night. It was a shooting star, but I think I saw wormwood. That's really going to happen. There's a mountain going to fall out of the sky, right? And then there's going to be a monster that crawls out of the Gulf of Mexico with seven heads and ten horns, wearing crowns and multiple eyes. That's in the Bible, and I believe the Bible. But then we read like this, bless your enemies. Now, what are you trying to say? What's the deeper meaning there? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who despise you. If your enemy wants your jacket, give him your shirt too. If he wants you to walk one mile, go with him too. If they ask of you anything, give to them and never ask for it back. And then if your right eye offends you, pull it out and then do to them whatever you would. And if you come to worship and you have something against your brother, put your hands down and walk out the church and make it right before you come back in here. Now, what does that mean? right? What's he really saying? You start scouring commentaries for a way out. <laughs> right? And that's got to be cultural. That's what we say about the parts of the Bible that bother. That's cultural. Love your enemies. Yeah, but that was a different day and time. <laughs> right? You can have Jesus or you can have the way the world works, but you can't have both. And so when we hear, when we, when we hear Jesus call to us, especially in his own sermons, if we really grapple with what he's saying, you have to come away with saying, this is outrageous. This is not realistic. But it depends on who you let define what is real for you. If you think the way this world works is what is real and true, then we have different realities altogether. Jesus is what's real, and God's kingdom is what's real. All right. So Jesus and Paul start talking about the kingdoms of this world, the principalities and the powers. And he says, if you feel the impulse to have authority over those kingdoms, that's because the devil tempted you. If you want to stand up on all of those mountains and have all the authority, that's because the devil tempted you. And then he goes on to talk about the kingdom of God. And scripture speaks in the most beautiful, overwhelming, glorious language when it talks about the kingdom that is to come. John talks about it like this way. It'll be a place, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be an age that is innocent of all violence where lion and lamb lay down together, where there are no enemies but only friends and brothers and sisters, where swords are beat into plowshares and spears are beat into pruning hooks, where there are no rich and are no poor, but everyone is on equal footing, where there is no powerful and oppressed, but everybody just worships together in one big family. This is what the scripture calls the kingdom of God. Right? That is the kingdom that is to come. That is the kingdom that we are headed toward and that is headed toward us. A kingdom that is an endless sea of glory. A kingdom made up of people washing one another's feet instead of talking behind one another's backs. Right? 
A kingdom, Augustine said it this way, a kingdom where men are friends so justice is not needed. Or what Tolkien said, all oh, my Lord of the Rings people up in the house. Whoa, whoa. What Tolkien said at the end of the Lord of the Rings, a kingdom where everything that is sad has become untrue. Where evil in all of its devastation has been unmade. Or as John says it at the end of Revelation, where every tear is wiped from their eyes. And there is no sorrow or pain, but we all sit together at a feast called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we dine looking across one another, enjoying the delight of one another and enjoying the delight of God. That is the kingdom. And then Jesus says something outrageous again. Pray for that to come now. Jesus, listen, this is my whole point right here. Jesus promises the kingdom. And when he ascends, he sends the church. He promises this kingdom and sends the church. A kingdom where the desert blossoms like a rose. And there are streams in the wilderness. And there is no poverty. And there is no hunger. And there is no sorrow. For the former things have passed away. And behold, I make all things new. And then he says, start praying for that now. He promises that kingdom and then sends the church. Because the church, look at me in my eyeballs. Our task as the church now, it's not to be jockeying over who's going to lead the kingdoms of the world. Our task as the church now is to live into that kingdom that is to coming. It's, it's what Bonhoeffer calls a lightning bolt from another world. We are supposed to be a strange. You want to know our aliens are real? Yes, you're one of them. You're from another world. You're supposed to be from another age. You're supposed to be from another kingdom. And your time machine was your baptism into the church of Jesus Christ. Just touch your neighbor and say, you're an alien. And look back at him and say, I know. Let me read this from Jonathan Edwards. He said this about the kingdom to come. He said, the best, most beautiful, and most perfect way that we have of expressing the kingdom is a sweet concord of mind with each other that can only be described by music. When I would form in my mind an idea of the kingdom, I think of them as expressing their love, their joy, and their inward unity and harmony and spiritual beauty of their souls by sweetly singing to one another. That's the language that one of America's greatest theologians used to talk about the kingdom. This is what happens every time at Easter or at Christmas whenever we receive communion together. We are welcoming everyone to a table where enemies are supposed to become friends. Where there is no division and no hate. And then he calls us to be a body of people, a community that lives into that reality now. If the way you think about 
being in the world has been shaped by the way you were raised or how you vote or who you like or don't like, then we have completely missed, we have completely forfeited living for that kingdom. The kingdom that is to come is to name what life is now for us. Well, that sounds unrealistic. It only depends if you think this is what's real and that's not. But that's more real than this. That's more real than this. That's real. This is a falsehood. Right? But that's not what we spend our time doing. We spend our time grasping for power so that we can ensure a particular way of life for ourselves. And Jesus is not at all concerned with you preserving a particular way of life. Jesus is concerned about you hearing and obeying and living into that kingdom. If we read Jesus, if you ever read Jesus' words in the Gospels, and you close your Bible and you're like, yeah, me and Jesus on the same page. You didn't read it right. You should go to the Gospels trembling, knowing that he's about to upset everything that we think about everything. We're called to live into that kingdom now. And in that kingdom, swords are beaten into plowshares. What does that mean now? In that kingdom, men are not enemies, only friends. So what does that mean now? That means I have to rush to heal every wound to every person that I've committed as much as it's in my power. We don't, I, I grew up, I grew up in brilliant Alabama, okay, in the 90s. But where I grew up, it is so backwards, you have to add 30 years. So I grew up in the 60s. <laughs> I wasn't born until 82, but I grew up in the 60s. Yeah. That's how far back in the woods we are. And there was an old Pentecostal doctrine. This was foundational to the Pentecostal church. It was a doctrine that we call, I bet Pastor Gay's familiar with it, restitution where possible. That means that part of the work that God required of you is that when you had wounded or harmed another, you didn't just go pray to God for forgiveness. You had to go heal that wound between two humans. Jesus says this explicitly in Luke 17 when he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Right, Zacchaeus come down from the tree, I'm going to your house. And they get to the house, and everybody, everybody knows about Zacchaeus, right? We don't know about Zacchaeus, but everybody back then knew about Zacchaeus. All we know about Zacchaeus is that he was short. All right, he's a wee little man. Y'all know Zacchaeus was. And if you were raised in God's church, you had hand signals. Right? You know what I'm saying? That's my free will Baptist coming out. What we don't know about Zacchaeus is that he was a wicked little man. Right? He'd become rich through overtaxing grandma and grandpa and sending them into poverty and living off the excess. And then Jesus has the nerve to go to that joker's house. How would you feel seeing Jesus at a corrupt businessman's house? It ain't right. Exactly, a corrupt politician, exactly. 
And we never hear Jesus preaching a sermon. We never hear Jesus say, turn or burn, repent or die. Right. <laughs> so many things I can say right now, but I won't. Right. Jesus didn't start talking to him about the worms that don't die and the fire that's not quenched and the bottomless pit and the lake of fire and right, all that stuff. He didn't talk about all that. And out of nowhere, this is what Zacchaeus says. Every person that I've wronged, I'm going to go make it right. To the point that if I need to restore it, I'll restore it fourfold. What's he doing? He's making restitution. And then what is Jesus' response? Today, salvation has come to this house. That's what Jesus names his salvation. The healing of wounds that we have caused. Why? Because that's living into that kingdom. That's an echo. That's a signal. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. The church is the wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers. But the kingdoms of this world don't view the church as an alternative community living by different politics. That's not what the church in America is. They're just another voting base that you win by placating. And it's not that hard to win them. Right? <laughs> I could give you three steps to winning every evangelical voter from Kentucky to Louisiana. It's not hard. We're not an alternative politics. We're not an alternative kingdom signaling to the kingdoms of this world, to the principalities, that that is not the way, nor is that the end. So the church is deeply confused about what she's supposed to be doing. We don't know. We don't have any sense of our direction or our vocation. So whoever's the loudest, that's the bandwagon that we're on, right? If what you believe about things can be summed up in a meme on Facebook, you've not thought about it very deeply, right? If I can sum up your whole vision of reality by a billboard, we have a problem. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Josh, this... This horrific rant is about to be over. <laughs> hey, Travis, I am going to go to those Matthew 6 verses, brother. Ephesians chapter 3 again, verse 8. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles the good news of the boundless riches of Christ. To make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Who created all things so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might be made known to the rulers and authorities. The church is supposed to witness to the wisdom of God. A wisdom that Paul says is foolishness to unbelievers. That makes no sense to unbelievers. You know, in the early Christian communities, I teach theology at, a, at Ramp University, and we talk a lot about the early church. The early Christian communities, when you were coming out of the world and into the church, 
you didn't do that process by coming to an altar and praying a 15-second prayer, right? They would take you through a long, drawn-out teaching process. The old language would call it a catechism. If some of you grew up in like a Catholic or no, calm down, gave Catholic or Orthodox church, they called it a catechism. They were catechized, they were taught, they were trained into the faith. This would take months, sometimes years, to even prepare them for baptism. And the reason they did that was because early communities understood the life that you're entering into is so radically different from the life that you've currently lived that to just throw you in the middle of it would be a shock to the system. So we got to take some time. Not today. I can join a church I've never attended by clicking a button on a website. Right? I never have to attend that church, in fact, to be considered a thriving member that they count. The only reason that makes sense is because the life they're calling me to and the life we typically live day in and day out, there's no difference. There is no bearing witness against the kingdoms of this world that their way is false and their way is a lie and only the kingdom of God is what is true and what is real. There is no, bear, there is no difference. There is no difference. We think our only difference boils down to what music you're allowed to listen to on Spotify or are you allowed to have Netflix or not? That's what we think is really setting us apart, glory to God. I'm going to show them. I, oh, I, <laughs> almost said something again. Man, this comes out when I come here. I have to be way more careful back home. I just come here and I was like, it just, just starts bubbling up. <laughs> I'm going to show them, bless God. <laughs> I'm boycotting every store on, on the street. I'm going to show that. That's what we think. Yeah, until we really need something. And Amazon ain't getting it here fast enough for what Jesus understands. Glory to God. We hate Disney Plus till that new Star Wars drops. And it's like, ah. Jesus. Be a fence. <laughs> right. That's what we think difference is. We're like, well, I'm showing, I'm being a light. And the whole time, in other areas of our life, we're just grasping for power for the kingdoms of this world. We're not, we're not an alternative community. When the disciples were first called Christians in the New Testament, that was a derogatory term. That wasn't a term of praise. That wasn't a badge you wore. Your favorite Instagram model is a Christian. Your favorite rap star is a Christian. You can't listen to any of their music because God help you, but they're a Christian. <laughs> they're spiritual, not religious, but spiritual. 
The term Christian was denigrating. You know why it was denigrating? These people look so weak. We're martyring them and they're not fighting back. They're singing songs. They're not falling out and passing out and going on rants on their podcast that nobody listens to. They're marching to their death, singing and blessing their executors. These people look weak. When James says in his epistle, when he says, if a poor person comes into your room and a rich person comes into your room, do not offer a better seat to the rich and a lower seat to the poor, but equalize the playing field and know they are both made in the image of God. This is radical thinking for the ancient world. When Paul says, masters, honor your slaves, what? This is radical thinking. These Christians, do they not know what happened to their leader? It's the same thing that's going to happen to them. And when you hear somebody calling you to fight back, they've obviously know nothing of the gospel. Nothing of the gospel. A different, he promises the kingdom and then sends the church to be a witness of what is to come. And if what we've been witnessing to is what is to come, I am deeply disappointed. So we have no sense of our vocation. Because it's all of your friends dropping hot takes on Facebook that shape how we think rather than the kingdom that is to come shaping how we think. Right. Listen to how we talk about, uh, y'all, a lot of you know my story. A lot of you know my story about me and my wife and everything that happened between us and God restored and all that. News. Everybody knows that. But in the middle of that, there were times where I was like, Lord, I, this is going to sound crazy, but I knew, and it made me so mad, I knew that if she came back home after three and a half years of being unfaithful, I knew that if she came back home, I could feel it. This is just me. It's not anybody, but it's just me. God was going to require me to forgive her. And I was like, Lord, No. I have every justification. I heard Jesse Duplantis say this one time. He said, he said he was praying about something. Somebody got on his nerves and he got upset and he was praying. And he was praying something like, Lord, kill him. <laughs> kill every last one of them. Like David, bash the heads of their enemies against rocks. If you ever, if you ever think you're having a bad day, Pray the Psalms. You're like, now, David, that's even far from me, dog. <laughs> you want to talk about an emotional roller coaster? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why do the wicked prosper? Where is God? Kill them all. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. He's like. <laughs> but Jesse's praying, Lord, kill every last one. I mean, every last one of them. 
make it slow <laughs> and painful. And the Lord speaks to him and says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And Jesse goes, no. No, Jesus. And then the Lord speaks, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. He's, you ever been frustrated in prayer? You ever started praying and then think about what they did and you find out you ain't praying anymore? You have an imaginary argument? Yeah. You were talking to God, but now you're talking to them. The only problem is they're not there. You're just preparing for the next encounter. Right? You're putting the arrows in the quiver. You're like a Rambo practicing. Oh, it's on. I dare you to walk across me in the church foyer. It's coming. Coming off the top rope. Come on, this is a wrestling church. Right? He said, no, Jesus. He said, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. No. If he's any thirsty, give him something to drink. No. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now we're talking, Jesus. <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, if she comes home for whatever reason, I feel this. I just know that's what he's going to require of me. And so she emails me. Y'all know this story, right? Some of you don't. Don't worry about it. She emails me after three and a half years. And when I get that email, it says something. I, we've not spoken in three and a half years. We're just waiting on our divorce to be finalized. It's went up to the Supreme Court of the state of Alabama. We're wait, it's, not, it's outrageous. And I'm not kidding about that. And she emails me. Two days before, I had to drop my kids off with her and her boyfriend. It's a very weird feeling. She emails me, I want to come home. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve a second chance, but I would give up anything to have one. And you probably think I read that and just broke down crying. I did not. <laughs> I was in a blind rage. How dare you, after three and a half years of absolute hell, slam my computer, just start pacing, right? Get what Jesse calls, get the Tabasco sauce off. <laughs> Did I finally write her back? I mean, boy, I was typing. <laughs> I mean... That computer never recovered. <laughs> Just drop an elbow and a bam. You gotta be kidding me. And I said this I said, I don't know what to tell you. Two years ago, I would have loved to have read this email, but now I don't know. This was on January the 10th. I said, But I tell you what, I'm willing to talk to you about it. And then I put, But I'm not talking to you about it tomorrow night. Because Alabama's playing Clemson in the national title game, and I got plans. And you can give me one night. I'm serious. And Alabama won, roll tide. Last one probably, but there it is, Gordy. And this whole time, I had pastors telling me, pastors and church leaders, there were about two that didn't say this, and one of them sitting right there. The other pastor was saying, it's over, man. Don't worry about it. 
You ain't, you ain't got to go back to that. You ain't got to take that. And this is the best part. If it was me, if it's me, like, it's not. Of course it's easy for you to make a rash decision when it's not your kids that are being destroyed by this. If it's me, it's like when single people tell you about how to raise kids. Right. If I was a kid of mine, listen, imaginary kids are way easier to parent. You can get those jokers to do anything. <laughs> I got to shut up. If it's me, but I knew there's a kingdom coming where all wounds are healed and all things are reconciled. What if I bear witness to that now? Is it foolish? Of course. Is it unrealistic? Yes. It might not even work out. You don't even know everything she's done, and I didn't. But the church is called to bear witness. We're to be a different community. And so whenever we hear voices calling the church to be anything other than the church, that's devilish voices tempting us with the kingdoms of this world. And we say no. Can I get a witness from somebody? Stand up on your feet. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Y'all are, without a doubt, my favorite people to preach to. And listen, no, no, hang on. When I say I don't say that everywhere, you have no idea. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, the end of this story is that you will reign. You will reign. Your kingdom will come and make all things new. And God, as the church, let us live into that reality now. Set us free from every voice that is calling us to be anything other than an alternative community rooted in suffering love for the sake of the world. We go ahead and we would say we reject power. We reject the kingdoms of this world. We live for a different kingdom. Our God reigns. So purify us and make us the people of God, the church of God, witnessing to the wisdom of God, to the principalities and the powers, claiming they are false and that one day the kingdoms of this world will be swallowed up by the kingdom of God. So Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.